Welcome to Be More Super, the podcast. Up in the sky, it's a bird. It's a plane. It's Superman. An action-packed podcast where we'll discuss all things entertainment. You're the answer to are we alone in the universe? Conventions, prop collecting, cosplay, interviews, reviews, and so much more. The show starts with host Brian Gardner right now. On this week's episode of Be More Super, the podcast, we've got another great guest for you. Uh, So personally, I'm a fan of this man's work from the age of 11 years old, believe it or not. I'm getting on a bit now uh, to his recent work. It's, of course, James Maddio. James, welcome to the show, sir. Thank you. Thank you guys for having me. I truly appreciate it. I know it's been a long time coming and we've been rescheduling, (laughs) but I'm I'm glad to finally uh, uh, be away from the kids for a few hours and... uh, and kind of, uh, you know, stroke my ego and talk about my career. <laughs> <laughs> and snap, I've got to say, doing these in- interviews gives, gives, gives me a bit of space, a bit of time away from the, uh, the kids. I've got a three-year-old and a seven-year-old, two girls, okay. um, and a 19-year-old stepson that we never see, to be honest, because he's 19. either gaming or girls. Um, yeah. so, what did you yeah. do at 19? <laughs> so james how is everything over where you are uh you're in new jersey is that correct correct yeah i mean everything is good you know uh the good news is uh we've been safe and and we've uh, kind of like anybody else figured out a way to live with this and understand it and and raise our kids in this and try to see family uh if they've been safe as well uh but it's obviously been uh, a change for a, yeah. uh, for our entire world, uh, but we're all doing good and we're safe and we're healthy. Thank you. Good, good, good. I mean, uh, here in the UK, we've just actually, as we're speaking right now, they're announcing a month long lockdown in the UK. So uh, oh. literally, all non essential shops will be closing. But no, I think the uh, first uh, priority is keeping our family safe, uh, keeping ourselves safe, and respecting yeah. others, which uh, needs to happen for this uh, virus to uh, do one as we say in the UK. Um, but you know what? Let's talk about your career because let's uh, lighten a few spirits because to say you've had a great career is a bit of an understatement because um, you started so young in one of, I've got to say, the most magical family films ever made in my eyes. And it's my family's favourite movie, uh, my wife's favourite movie as well. Uh, it's, of course, Hook. And you play one of the Lost Boys. Um, can you believe it's nearly, is it 30 years? Nearly 30 years ago? It's actually, I think it's spot on. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's 30, probably right about, maybe till the day, actually. Uh, we, yeah, 30 years. We shot that in 90, 90 and it premiered in 91. Yeah, 91. And you know what? I can remember... The day going to see it, I went to the UCI cinema at Crystal Peaks near Sheffield in the UK. And I can actually still remember the day that I went to see it and leaving the cinema with this just awe. I mean, Robin Williams, for a start, is just such a magical soul. And anything he did, it was like the Midas touch. And Dustin Hoffman as, as Hook. But you played Don't Ask, which is one of the Lost Boys. So how did that part come about for you? How did you became but become a lost boy uh well first off i mean and you mentioned dustin and uh and robin and you know you had julia and bob hoskins and and yep. from glenn close and i mean just so many incredible actors 
with great careers. Uh, I got cast with that just kind of out of luck. My father, my father's friend was dating a, 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 a child manager, someone who, who managed children in the entertainment industry. And I guess they were out hanging out and I was getting into a lot of trouble as a young kid, a lot of trouble. And <laughs> my father was like, I don't know what I'm going to do with him. He, he's, he can't do sports. I mean, he can, but he's really, really small and outgrow him. Uh, I don't want to send him to Florida to be a jockey, which is, you know, which was on the table for me to do. Right. He said, well, look, you know, I'm, I, this guy was uh, seeing a woman who, who, who dated uh, managers and I just went down there and did like a cold read for her, like a commercial cold read. And uh, I, I didn't do it as probably well as I thought I was going to do it. And she said, thank you very much. Uh, don't call us. We'll call you. <laughs> about a month later they said uh we have an audition for you and i, I didn't even know what an audition was uh and had to be explained to me uh of, of a studio film which is for your first audition you know i look at it back i look back today and i'm like my god i can't believe that and it was for hook and they said i'm gonna be a lost boy and my father's trying to explain it to me and the manager's trying to explain it to me uh and i said okay great and uh I went in there and I did my lines and then they called me back to meet Steven and I met Steven. I did my lines for Steven Spielberg and, and I guess they thought I was just lost enough and um, on, as, enough of a misfit to, to join the clan. Now you got to remember something, Brian, back in the day, that's where they had, you know, we had the lines in our head. Remember that style yeah. with the spiked hair. So yeah. I was 13. I was either 12 or 13, but I looked like I was nine because I was small. And I already had earrings in my ear. And I already had the lines in my hair, spiked hair and a tail. So I already looked like something out of like, you know, a Madonna video. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then they just flew me my father out to California. That was it. That, that was my first you know, intro into the industry. And I just can't believe. I mean, I'll tell you, I look back at it and even you bring it up today. I, I just cannot believe how fortunate I was. Because it's incredibly difficult to break into this industry, and maybe we'll talk mm. about that a little bit later. Uh, and to have that opportunity to do that, at you know, with some of the best in the business, to ever grace the screen in front and behind the camera. I mean, I, I was, I was, I just can't believe how lucky I was. But it was luck. Mm. It, I, it, it was. I mean, did you? Did you? Um... Did you know all the stars around you? So like Dustin Hoffman, Robin Williams, Steven Spielberg, you know, the, these are big, big actors and an enormous di director. And for a, a child your, your age, I mean, did you know any of them? At the time, I did not. I mean, the only thing oh. I did know that my father explained to me and that my manager explained to me at the time was uh, Steven Spielberg directed Jaws and uh, E.T. And, and I, I remember loving E.T., uh, and R Dustin Hoffman, you know, who wound up being one of my favorites and, you know, I, I really enjoyed working with him and I worked with him again. Uh, Tootsie, it was worth, you know, and I remember my parents watching that. I, I don't remember me actually sitting down, but the big one for me to be honest was uh, Robin Williams. When my parents said, Popeye. Oh, that's an awesome Popeye. movie. That, that's what that I'm like, what? I'm working with Popeye. That was one of my favorite films at the time. So Popeye to me really stood out more than Spielberg and, and Hoffman. I just couldn't believe that I might be working with Popeye. That that was my 
thought process at the time. I didn't know Tinkerbell, Julie Roberts, you know, Bob Hoskins' mm. career. I, it just wasn't really, I didn't know it, you know. And what was Robin like to work with? Uh, was he as funny on screen, off screen? He, you know, what I, what I tell people when I get this question a lot, and it, it's obviously it's a very, it's a sensitive question mm. uh, because of the emotions with it and, and, and the relationships with it. I was very, very young. That was my first set that I've ever walked on. And he was Robin Williams. And, and I didn't really know much. Uh, actually, I didn't know anything. And he made it so much fun for all of us. He was just seemed like that fun uncle that kept it alive every day. But at the same time, he was very, very smart in policing us because he knew we were young. And he had a job to do, a very serious job to do. And I look back at that right now. He's my age now when he did it. Mm. And, uh, you know, a lead is Peter Pan and Spielberg and then having to work around 15, 20 kids all day kind of tugging on you going, hey, what do you, what do you, hey, Peter Pan, where do you want me to stand? You want me to say this? Can I hit you with this? And he's just got to go, okay, great, great, great. All right, Stephen, what do you need me to do? One, one, one. Like this, and then keep it funny and light for the entire set. It had a lot of pressure on him, but he kept it very light. He kept it fun. He, he, he never stumbled. And, uh, you know, I, I just remember really, really enjoying myself with the men around him. And he would go, hey, my Bronx boy, my Bronx boys. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't take any shit from anybody, you know. Uh, and I didn't really know what was going on, so I didn't really kiss anybody's ass either. You know, yeah. I, I didn't know who the big shot producer was walking by. I didn't know who, you know, who showed up on set to visit. I didn't really know. I was just being me. So uh, I think he dug that, you know. So he would just always go, hey, my Bronx boy, when I'd walk by. And then what happened was, I got the name Don't Ask because I kept on asking Stephen, I don't have a name yet. I'm Lost Boy number one. <laughs> Who's Lost Boy number one? And by time, like the second, third week, I probably, he probably hated me. And he turns around and he goes, all right, listen, just don't ask anymore. And then he went, <laughs> don't ask. I went, I won't. And he's like, no, no, no. Your name, your character name now is Don't Ask. And I went, great, I got a name. <laughs> and in the call sheet the next day, it said, don't ask instead of Lost Boy number one, you know? <laughs> that, is, that, that is awesome. So you were responsible for your own name in Hook. I which, was, but which... also there was a scene that they added. It never made it. And I'd love to see if that scene exists, uh, exists somewhere behind in, in some kind of archive footage, which is Stephen wrote in the scene one day, was like, hey, you and Robin, Robin's going to come up to you and ask you your name. Give it to him. And I'm like, all right, great. And Robin came up to me and he's like, and what's your name? And I'm like, don't ask. He goes, well, that's not very nice. I mean, I'm just, I was just asking you your name. I said, don't ask. And he goes, all right, I won't ask again. And he walks away, but it never made the cut in the movie. What? You know? That would have been awesome. Well, that sounds so good. Now we think about it. Yeah, but you know, when you got to try and make a 95 minute film. Well, who knows? The uh, 30 years uh, collector's edition, maybe on Blu-ray, might have it in. That'd be so- cool. Fingers crossed. So can you remember, I mean, I know this is going back nearly 30 years, but can you remember your first day on set? I, I, I can't recall, like, like <laughs> well, I, don't, I can't recall my actually first physical day walking on set because remember, before you get on the set, you got hair, makeup, wardrobe, be doing rehearsals. Mm. If I remember, like, my first few days, there was a lot of sword fighting, training, you know, a lot of, you know, we skateboard training, just things to like feel wardrobe, hair, makeup, like I said, uh, and rehearsal. I don't recall the first day on set, but I do recall something that happened on set with my father, which was, uh, you can imagine this spread on a Steven Spielberg film. 
in the craft service. Yeah. It was a whole room full of any a kid's dream. Could walk in there, M and M's, sodas, Hershey bars, discs, bagels, whipped cream, pizzas. I mean, it's just ridiculous. And uh, you know, I come from the Bronx family of seven, and uh, you know, look, it's not like we went without. I mean, we you know we we, <laughs> we had, but you know, seven kids is it's hard. And an AD, an assistant director, walked up to my dad and said hey i'm so-and-so and then introduced herself to me and him said james i'm so-and-so i'm gonna have you get ready for school and then make sure that this is how it works and you know just trying to show me the ropes and then the ad said can i can i get you anything and i and i remember almost like no one in my life at that time has ever said can i get you anything you got to get it yourself right like i've just never been told can i get you anything in my life <laughs> at that time and i was like what do you mean? Well, you know, do you want a soda? Do you want maybe get you some, you know, pretzels or, or, or some M&Ms? I don't know exactly what, what, what he was asking. And I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll take the pretzels, M&Ms and the soda. And my father literally just stopped me right here, pushed me back a little bit, and very nicely, politely said to the AD, hey, listen, we're going to be here for a very long time. When my son wants something, he'll go and get it himself. I just remember my father kind of going, my kid's not going to turn into this like jerk off, you know, small little bratty set kid, you know, yeah. he'll get it himself. You know, he knows where it is. Tell him where it is. He'll go get it. Plus, remember, I was small. Again, I know I say this a lot. I know it sounds like a broken record. I was small. I think a lot of the people thought that I was like 9, 10, but I was mm. literally 13, 14 with an attitude already from the Bronx. So it was very confusing for them how to approach me, I'm sure, you know, like, yeah. Can I wipe my own ass? Yeah, you know what I mean. <laughs> and apparently, I could. You know. <laughs> Do you know what? It's quite quite worrying to think that you know Steven Spielberg's put this spread on with all sweets and M and M's and all that lot. But then you've got all these kids having to concentrate. They must must have been jumping off the walls. Uh, you know what? Knowing him and and working with him a few times, he probably wanted it that way. I mean, as crazy as it sounds, he, you know, he uh, he knew what he was doing, man. He 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 by design that that man knew how to get us fired up and keep our energy going he needed it for the film and he was willing to sacrifice us being bananas on set yeah <laughs> so so obviously doing this movie you become a movie star and you go back to the bronx to school um were you picked on were you idolized you know, did you funny. get more attention <laughs> it's funny that's the first question that you said is were you were you picked on and uh and then were you idolized and did you get attention? You know, look, it was all three. It was it was definitely all three. You know, I don't, you know, I'm older now and I sit back and you kind of realize <laughs> who your friends are or who your friends were and, and who was saying stuff only to sort of knock you down because maybe you were getting a little bit more attention and and who was there to build you up and giving you confidence to kind of go do what you're doing. It's good, man. It's good to see you do anything. But it was a combination of both, of all three, actually. When I went back, I know there was a little bit of, stupid comments but then there were a lot of great comments or encouragement uh from a lot of my friends and family uh and i guess yeah there was a little bit of the you know oh wow jim is mm -hmm. you know uh doing movies and he's, he's kind of gotten out of the bronx a little bit and travels a little bit and and you know your perspective on life because you've met a lot of people from all walks of life rather than the people from your street that only people mm -hmm. have known your, your perspective and how you think and how you view can sort of catch up with you and now how people look at you today. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, I mean, it's quite quite refreshing you hear that because, you know, you see so many child stars, uh, like I've got Joey Kramer on the show next week and he uh, was in Flight of the Navigator. And obviously mm-hmm. after he was in this big movie and he become very well known and he went back to school, obviously everything fell apart because obviously he had difficulty handling that fame and that attention and everything right. like that. Do you think being from the Bronx helped you? Because obviously... I mean, I've been to New York quite a few times, but I've been told not to go to the Bronx. Um, but I want to go to the Bronx. Is the Bronx well, look, that scary? Uh, did it help me circle back to your question? Absolutely. 100%. <laughs> it grounds you. It, and and yeah. my family, my father and my mother and my sisters uh, and my brother, you know, I, come, I got a big family. You know, they ground you. You're grounded. They remind you where you're from. And when you walk in the door, it ain't about you. It's like, hey, go change that diaper. Or, hey, go stir the gravy on the on the, on, on thing or go do this. It, it, you're not any different when you walk in. And my friends, you know, thankfully, I had a good group of friends that were very close. And they'd ground you, too. You know, although some of them would knuckleheads and say stupid shit. But, yeah. you know, to some degree, that stupid shit did ground you as well. Uh, but, yeah, look, I could... I could see where that young man's coming from because I, when I did go back to school, school was different from your friends and your family. I went to a very big school in the Bronx. Uh, that was a struggle for me, for sure, because I just felt like there was this this interesting dynamic of most of the people didn't know who I was or cared who I was, and there were a few that were, and there was it was a very interracial high school. So, and I was small. Again, I know I say that a lot. God, I got to stop saying that. Uh, but you know, being small, you get picked on and, and, and people say stupid things. Uh, so that caused me to kind of fight and defend myself. So, it, you know, high school was different for me. I wasn't a big fan of high school to be honest. Mm. And then looking back at hook, uh, before we move on, what is your fondest memory that comes to mind about working on that movie? You know, I'd have to say the mischief that we got into. My God, we got into mischief. And and I'd have to say a lot of it was caused by me because these kids were all straight arrow kids coming in to act. And I'd be like, hey, this damn, you know, golf cart. I'm like, no, that golf cart is Dustin oh. Hoffman's golf cart. I take them to the set. I'm like, well, okay, cool. The keys are in it. Let's go take it to set. I mean, <laughs> you know, <laughs> we'd go on sets that were closed and like, you know, go play the basketball, go run around never neverland and uh you know start fights with other sets and kids on other sets and you know we'd hold boxing matches and courtesy of me (laughs) 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 i don't even know how steven hired me again now that i think about it Uh, but you know just the mischief i just remember dustin hoffman coming down in his brand new porsche and he sees us all hanging out and he slows down. And he loved us. He was a ball breaker. Him, Dustin and Robin were the best of like, they knew how to joke and send it all away. And we'd send it back at them, you know? Uh, and he had this Porsche, his convertible Porsche. And he told me, you know, he told me get in. And then I jumped in and a few other kids jumped in. And it was like seven of us on the back of his Porsche all piled in the convertible. And he's rolling down like two miles an hour, just cruising down, you know, Sony Pictures lot honking his horn with like seven lost boys on it you know <laughs> just that's the kind of stuff that you know you had fun that you have fun doing you know i mean so i would say the biggest thing was the mischief yeah. but you would expect that right i mean what do you want me to say the school well learning <laughs> my lines is great love learning my lines <laughs> Yeah, I mean, to be, to be honest, it's such a fun, it's, it's such a fun movie. And you could just tell that, 
you lost boys were definitely up to no good the majority of the times yeah and that really really made it um and then moving on to uh you being in a group of mischievous kids now you're in a group of mischievous adults i presume um we're talking about band of brothers for mm-hmm. me it's one of the most epic well-made emotional series on TV and it really is it made me cry so many times and you know what I'm man enough to to say that because you know what's really sad is if you ask a teenager on the street now when did first world uh, you know the second world war start and finish they wouldn't have a clue they haven't got a clue of what these amazing men went through during this time and what Tom Hanks and Steven Spielberg again um, did I just think was epic um and you of course this is nearly 20 years ago yeah. uh, you of course played frank um P- uh, Piconti, which is a real person so yeah. first of all you know how did you get the role because the cast is just phenomenal it must have been such a big process it was a huge process it was like a five six month process to be honest wow uh, i've told this story a thousand times i auditioned once a month for five months and i auditioned for each character like i auditioned for garnier loves and Liebgott on and off uh it was grueling it was i mean just the anxiety of it all uh and finally the last audition like the fifth or sixth audition was tom and steven were in the room and they uh did a mix and match with like 40 other actors and told us plan on being there for six hours which we were there for six hours. And I just remember I was one of the first ones called in and I was excited. I'm like, yeah, they like me. I'm called in first. And they put a couple actors with me and we improvised and did our thing. And then I went out and passed all the other actors. And I mean, they're all, or even the actors that didn't get roles in there were great actors as well. I mean, mm-hmm. and they have good careers today as well. But I, I remember walking out of that first, you know, round kind of going, man, I knocked out of the park and I waited for him to call me again to mix and match with other actors. And I didn't get called again for five hours and 45 minutes. And when they came out and said, thank you guys very much. I, I pretty much cried, uh, walking to my car. Cause I thought, wow. what did I do wrong? And, and I didn't hear from them for a month. And then they called me and said, you got the role of Frank Picanti. And I was like, who? I didn't even audition for Frank. I auditioned for everybody else, but not Frank. So, and that's how, that's how it all started. Yeah. I mean, um, when you went for the role, obviously, did did you get told that it was for an actual, you know, real life per- person that 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 went 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 through that with Easy Company? Yes, we did. Was, when yeah. when we first when I first got the audition from my manager, uh, yeah, absolutely. They told us about it. She reminded me a thousand times the weight of this project, how big it is, how many yeah. actors are trying to get in even for an audition, and I should be lucky that I even got an audition. Uh, and, uh, you know, I went and got the book. I read the book a few times, worked on whatever I can work on as much knowledge as I can about the guys. So yeah, I was by time, the four, five, six months process of auditioning, by the time I got to the last audition, I was, I was pretty knowledgeable and aware, aware of, of, of what I was about to get into aware of it. Yeah. After the fact and going through the process <laughs> and the camp and filming and now even doing yeah. this today, I, I would have never thought that this was something that, you know. And did you get in contact with Frank before? Because luckily Frank was still around at the time. Uh, did you have time like one-on-one with him? 
I did. I did. What happened was they HBO gave us these booklets, uh, and you know, on your characters, almost like a little Bible on them. I still have it, and uh, everything about Frank that you could possibly know, or that they've dug up uh, pictures when he when he enlisted, when he uh, 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 you know uh, stopped working as a mailman, pictures of family, anything you think of, you know. And then his number at the bottom and I think, and his address. And I was going to call them, but I didn't. I was like, let me not yeah. call. Them. Cause I know a lot of, a lot of the other guys were calling their guys. And sometimes it seemed a little iffy. Some family members didn't know much and he just didn't want to open any old wounds. So I said, I'm going to write him a letter. And I wrote him a letter. Uh, and I put my phone number and my, my Brit, my London phone, cell phone number that they gave me when I was working in production. I mean, when, when, when that production gave me. And I didn't hear from him for about a week or two. And it was fine. You know, we were right about to shoot the film, the first episode. My first scene in, in episode one that we were shooting was uh, one of the scenes was with Joe Toy. You know, Joe going, I got my gammon bomb, this, and these skivvies, you know, when Joe Toy does that whole thing. To, and I go, you forget your brass knuckles? He goes, I could use it brass knuckles, you know, and, and when Kirk Acevedo does that, it's fucking great as Joe Toy. There's not one person who's not good in that film, in that show. Uh, and the more I watch it, the more I'm so impressed with everybody's performance. Yeah. It, it's, it really, really stands the test of time. And, and like you said earlier, probably one of the best pieces of, mm. of cinematic history that I've been a part of. And even if I step outside of it, is a part of cinematic history. Uh, and I was just about to shoot that scene and everybody I knew was smoking cigarettes and I smoked at the time. I'm like, yeah, let me smoke cigarettes. But thank God I spoke to Frank like two days before that scene, before I shot anything. Mm. And I had a slew of questions for him. And you can imagine my delight when he called. I was very nervous, but he was very outgoing, very excited. He was uh, likable and wanted to know more about me. And I'm like, no, 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 I don't know about you. Uh, and he told me, never, never touch sugar in my life, Jim. No, no, never touched it. And I'm like, thank God. I just hope. I mean, imagine him watching the first episode and seeing himself yeah. with a fucking cigarette. Mm. Fail, complete fail, <laughs> like fail. You know. So I was, I was really, really glad to touch base with him. But we went on to have an incredible friendship. Me and him uh, got to travel with him back to all the battlefields and monuments and retrace his exact footsteps, even to where he was shot in Foy. Uh, and uh, yeah, I spent quite a lot of time with Frank. I had a, a wonderful relationship with him that I'm very, that I'm very dear to my heart. And what did he think of your performance? He thought it was great. I mean, Frank, you know, he he was he was funny in a way where like he enjoyed his fame later on in his legacy years. You know, he was a mailman fifty years, retired, and that was it. Yeah, uh, he was a dedicated husband and father, and so. When the show came out, his wife had, when the show was shooting, his wife had just passed. And uh, so he was having a hard time with that. And Frank was more like, no one knew who he was on his block. And he delivered mail for years. So when the Chicago Tribune, one of those big papers, had him on the front cover going, local heroes portrayed in Tom Hanks. I mean, he just became a star. <laughs> and he would Excellent. call me and kind of be like, well, James, well, you know, he made me a damn movie star. And I'm like, nah, Frank, I think you made me a, <laughs> I think you made me a star. But uh, 
but you know, he, he enjoyed it. He never said anything I did wrong or right. You know, he was just enjoying it. I think at the end of the day, he knew it was a movie and something to write, something to wrong. Like I know in episode three, where I take the watches off the dead Germans, you know, mm. when I talked to him about it, you know, he's like, Hey, you know, I wasn't the company thief. Right. And I'm like, <laughs> no, I'm not. He's like, ah, but you know, you know, if it got, if it got you more screen time and you're on the film, good for you. You know, like he wasn't really <laughs> that bothered about anything, you know, yeah. it was my job to make sure that certain things he was very dear to, which is like smoking cigarettes, drinking and the way his uniform was held and his hygiene he didn't want to be one of those ratty looking soldiers. He, he took his appearance very, very much. So that's why Frank is always with his hair, always uniform intact, always brushing his teeth, always care packages. His wife sent him care packages too. So I relayed that to the producers who eventually later on started to write that thread, you know, throughout, oh, the, awesome. throughout the show. So it was very, very important to get to know him and talk to him because it helped me. Uh, obviously, you know, I wanted this guy's family to make sure that they saw grandpa, uncle Frank, and you know the mm. best life that they could, the most honest life that they could in cinematic history. Mm. So yeah, uh, and it and it definitely does that. It's just an amazing show. So you get the part, and you get flown over to lovely England, um, yeah. and you film at Hatfield Aerodome. Mm-hmm. Um, so boot camp. How hard was boot camp? Was it proper military boot camp? Uh, well, look, and, and, and I say this all the time too. Any one of you military heads or anybody who served in the military uh put your earmuffs on because no way am i going to sit here and think that i fucking have done what you've done or feel that i'm in the military or i should be adorned in that kind of way we did a boot camp it was not your boot camp but for an actor it was difficult they made it as real as possible i mean they took everything away from us and gave us these green bags filled with toiletries they cut our hair in 1940s and stuck us in these barracks and uh pretty much told you get ready to get up 5 a.m. with these Corcoran boots. They gave us brand new Corcoran boots. They were reissued for the show. Mm. They made us put them on, put them in water, tub water, for like 30 minutes, and then sleep in them so they kind of fit you. And then we got to jog in these things, and it hurt everybody. We all had blisters and shit. Uh, But, you know, it was as rough as it can get without killing your actor, for sure. Uh, Yeah. We get up five a.m. Do a bunch of training, you know, P P P T and tank maneuvers and weapons training, and then we'd have breakfast. You know, it was those that type of day. And then sometimes you have night duty, guard duty, and you'd you know go to bed two o'clock in the morning. And have to get up at five a.m. and do it again. So they made it very very difficult by design, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was about two weeks, and then we had a few days of jump training. For me, it wasn't to answer your question, Brian. It wasn't difficult. Physically, like I was in great shape. I I was able to do everything everybody can do except the damn wall, the big wall in in the uh, uh, obstacle course. I got over that shit Uh, because you know it was high. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) uh, but my what I struggled with was the chain of command. Mm. I I couldn't. I I was never even when I read the book and I looked at the thing. It just for some reason never registered how it all. You know, lieutenant, second lieutenant, I mean, major, general, captain, sergeant, staff sergeant, private, whatever. It never, it never sat with me. So I called everybody by the wrong name, including Captain Die. I called him the general. I called him the saw. I called him everything at every time. <laughs> and he would just get smoke out of his ears and make me do push-ups. So the big thing for me was just trying to get who everybody's 
role, who's everybody's like mm-hmm. a, a role was because mm-hmm. the second thing that they did was with boot camp is I didn't know anybody's name. All these right. actors showed up and I had to, and I didn't know them. I just knew the only one I knew was David Swimmer. I knew David Swimmer's real name. Everybody like Downey Wahlberg. I don't know who he was. They wanted me to call. He was Lipton. Rick Gomez. I never met Rick Gomez. He was Luz for years later. Still Luz. Bull. <laughs> I don't know. Michael Collins. So we were, we, we called each other by our, we were supposed to call each other and we did by our character name. And that stood for even years after the show. Some of us be sitting around fucking dinner two, three years later. And we go, your name is George. <laughs> George, you know, like, you know what I mean. Like we didn't really know the names until yeah. later on. Funny for us, you know. We took the piss out of it a little bit, but uh, <laughs> but I know some people had a little difficult with boot camp. But for the most part, it, it was something that was very, very smart by the producers uh, to make sure that we bonded in the sense. And Tom and Stephen came to boot camp halfway through, and they told us, "Listen, you have to throw your, you know, your acting eagles out the door." because this is a little bigger than you guys and, and mm-hmm. wonderful speech by both of them really brought the house down. And that's when we really knew what we were doing and why we were doing it, who these men were. Those speeches mm-hmm. were very important. And what was your most difficult day on set? Can you remember like the hardest day, you know, sort of, sort, sort of that really took it out of you? Uh, you know, the concentration camps are really tough. Episode nine, mm-hmm. they were tough, you know, look, a director, David Frankel had family uh, that were in concentration camps. So we joked a lot on set, but when episode nine came, I think the joking stopped. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of us didn't see the set dressed until we got there. But seeing those actors and how they looked and how the set was dressed and the fake dead bodies, you, it really, it really, it, it was tough to do. It, it was really tough to show up on set every day and understand the weight of that and the reality of it and what these young men must have went through. Mm-hmm. Speaking for the soldiers, I mean, I'm not, I cannot ever speak for, you know, uh, the prisoners. Uh, mm-hmm. But those were, those were difficult days uh, shooting that. Otherwise, you know, take, look, we're actors, you know, long days, you guys out there didn't have to cater to us. Like it was an EU deal. So we didn't really have to, it, there wasn't craft service all the time. We didn't have to treat us great. So we were always in the mud and the rain, smoking cigarettes under a tree. We never went back to our trailers. So some days got really long and cold and tiresome. Yeah. And some days you went to set. And if, if you look at those, if you look at, look back at that series, one thing that never, you never saw a lot of extras in the back. It was us. Yeah. So you might see Nixon and 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 Winters talking, and you look in the back, and it's us. Normally, they have extras, but they never separate us. You came to set, and sometimes didn't have a damn line. You didn't even get screen time, and you were there for twenty hours. Mm-hmm. But you did that for yeah. the integrity of the show and the integrity for these men to respect what these men were. So those that became difficult. You worked really fucking hard, and you'd go a few straight days of going to set, and not even getting any screen time. But that's all like a personal like actor thing. But you want it was it was personal actor thing only because you wanted screen time for their family members to see them up there. It wasn't really yeah. at that time you were so you know engulfed in, in this in, in your character. You wanted him up there so the family kind of go, There's Frank. My God, there he is. Oh, you see him, there he is, you know? So more of that. No. And you kinda go, Oh my god, I'm gonna be I need to see screen time because I'm famous. If, if if that was if that was felt around the core guys. You were ostracized. You were a little bit, if you became that dude, 
It was trying to like, you know, get your head in the back or something. You, <laughs> you were, you were sniffed out really quick and you were, you were brought to attention. Put into you know? place, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and did you attend? Cause if I remember rightly, they had the premiere in Normandy. Yes. Correct. Uh, did you attend that premiere? I did. I did. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's one well, one place I've always wanted to go because, again, it's not really far f- from us in the UK. It's uh, a powerful place, man. And, and if you haven't been, yeah. I, you know, I, I go back quite a bit with the World War II uh, Museum. I work with the World War II Museum. And I went back with the World War II Foundation as well. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I do tours. There's an easy company, Band the Brothers Tour. And I'm, I'm one of the fortunate actors that their wives allow them to do that. And I, I go with, you know, 30, 40 Americans and we start in Europe. Uh, I mean, you know, we, we start in Auburn and then we go across into Normandy. Then we go into Holland, into Bastogne, into, you know, uh, 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 the other places. It's all these names. All the beautiful places we go to. Uh, and, and, and obviously, um, you've, you've got that lovely signed poster that you show, show, yeah. showed off at, off at the beginning. Did you keep anything else from the set of Band of Brothers? Or, I mean, to be honest, it's, it's, it's nearly 20 years ago. It's fine. You, you, you can say. I mean, they won't get you into trouble, I'm sure. No, 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 they won't. So I kept my uniform. <laughs> I had it in, a, uh, in one of them zippered things. And I don't yep. know what I did wrong. I kept one of my uniforms. Uh, and one day, like years later, it wasn't even that long ago, maybe like six years after the show, I had it in the closet and I unzipped it and I went to go pull it out. And when I pulled it, my hand went right through the uniform. It just like almost fell to dust. Oh, wow. Because I mean, it got eaten by moths, I guess. And it oh, just no. kind of fell to dust. But what I do have, I do have my boots and I do have my weapon and I do have my helmet. Awesome. But people have asked me for quite some money for these. And I'm like, no, oh, man. Do you know what? You know what? It, is- it is so collectible. It really is. But why, Every- do, why is a series now more series memorabilia more collectible like right now than some World War II stuff? It's crazy I, what they've been asked for. I know it's bizarre. People will spend more on that webbing that you wore in that yeah. than someone that actually wore it in World War Two. It's just yeah. really, really odd. Well, look, I, I've been, I've been quite a bit offered for my Corcoran's and uh, and uh, my helmet quite a bit. I was like, no, it's, it's just not going to happen. It's never going to happen. So we might, you know, good, yeah. good. You, 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 you keep that. Don't sell it. It's yours. Yeah, there's enough. Um, there's already got to be seen on being sold on it. But I don't think anything else has come close to Band of Brothers over over the years, and I don't think anything will. Um, there isn't really. I mean, obviously they made the the Pacific, uh, which was very good. But yeah, um, before good. before I let you go back to uh, your lovely plans for the day, uh, Pep, mm-hmm. what's going on? When is it coming out? Because obviously it's based on a legend boxer, yeah. right. which you actually look a lot like in real life, like the real Willie Pep. Well, thank you. Look, this is a passion piece. It's been going on for like a decade and we've had to reinvent it quite a few times because as you can imagine, it's a little bit difficult to get a, a, a film made as James Matthew as the lead. I'm not a household name. No one's throwing money at me to invest in my career. Uh, but there's not many other actors that can portray him, right? There's no five foot four, 126 pound East Coast actor who knows how to fight. There's, there's if any, good luck. Uh, so we've had the life rights. We've been working on this project for many years. We've got a few heavy hitters involved. Uh, we were green lit. I started training in, I started training in February. We were going to shoot in April and obviously COVID hit. So yeah. we are on hold. 
Uh, we will reconvene production. I'll start training again January 1, and we start in March. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I cannot wait because everyone loves a good boxing mo mo Me movie. Me too, man. It's and just obviously it's based so on a true man. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that is awesome. From, I, I hope so. I mean, we're, we're very close, and I just feel like his story needs to be told. You know, I, I was thinking about it the other day. I've had the, the unique privilege of, for some reason, my career is strangely uh, catered to portraying real-life people. I mean, in, in, in Basketball Diaries, uh, I portrayed Pedro, which was a combination of two characters of Jim Carroll's book. Uh, Band of Brothers was obviously Frank Picanti, you know, a real-life hero. Uh, I played Nicolo Sacco in No God, No Master. Uh, I, this movie that came out yesterday uh, called Blackjack, uh, I played Marty, which is the lead's best friend. He's a, it's a real-life story of a street ball legend here in Brooklyn. It literally just came out yesterday. Uh, Willie Pep. Uh, and it's just, I just kind of go, it, it, there's just this great amount of pressure. But as an actor, I think that's what motivates me to sort of be better and get better and why these projects mean so much to me. When And the ones that don't, not that they, they all mean something, but... When you're playing real life people, you know, there's just this incredible amount of pressure. And, and I think that's what separates the, you know, the boys from the men in this industry and, and, and yeah. how you survive and how you approach the work and what you get excited about. So there's something about it. And, uh, you know, I got to say, just portraying Frank Picanti was, was, was the tip of the iceberg and understanding that, obviously. They, 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 there's no better job in my life. There will never be a better job in my life than portraying Frank Picanti, no matter what I become or how I become to be, to have played that man, to be etched into history in some small fraction or some degree, an attachment to that man and easy company in general, anything in World War II uh, is, you know, one of the most humbling and honorable things that, you know, I'll ever do in my career, except my wife and kids, obviously, which I'm supposed to say. <laughs> <laughs> and would you let your kids go into the same profession? You Look, uh, man, you I've got, my kids are characters. I won't ever do it, but if they mention this, don't them pick up on what daddy does. Like yeah. they'll see me do a self-tape audition. I'll be in front of a computer, like editing my self-tape. And they'll be like, who's that? I'll be like, that's me. I'll be like, oh, what are you doing? You know, and I'm like, that's me doing it. What are these lines? And they'll look at the diet. So they're starting to understand, yeah. especially my older one, what's going on. He'll fake a few things and go, man, daddy, I'm a better actor than you. And I'm like, wow. <laughs> so I, I would never pressure him, but if they, here's, here's the deal. If I know they're good, and I'll know, if they, I'll know if they got it. I'll move them along in a certain direction gingerly. Uh, but if they suck, no. I'm going to be like, hey, man, you might want to go stick with Legos. You know, I don't know. You know, but I'll know if they're good. <laughs> but, but you know, you know, like, do you know what, though? It would be fantastic that if one of your sons did go into acting and then one day you're the one that actually puts put puts your hand on his chest and 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 say look you know if he's gonna want something he can get it himself what a lovely circle that would be oh god i would love nothing more than going on no, 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 listen i going to get it himself i would love it because my father did old school time guy go no 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 thank you but he's gonna go get it himself i'll never get anything for him that is awesome james thank you so much for your time it's been an absolute pleasure um it's definitely been my highlight of 2020 um mm -hmm. and um, we might actually watch hook again for the 200th time uh, later on in celebration um mm -hmm. but thank you so much um and um godspeed and keep safe and keep your family safe which i'm sure you will and uh let's let, let's hope everything 
sort of disappears soon and we can all go back to work properly and we see Pep very yeah. soon in the well, city. Thank you. Look, and I appreciate it. Thank you for your time. And, uh, you know, once these tours open up and I get back on your end, hopefully we could go to a pub and enjoy a proper drink. Oh, yeah, a proper good. pint. A proper yeah. pint. Yeah, British pint. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. You've been listening to Be More Super, the podcast. It was kind of a crazy, fun experience. I love the show, guys. You're awesome. Listen, my whole family loves it, man. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to hit the subscribe button and share with your super friends. My world, let me talk.